I'm Jason. Those of you that haven't met me, uh, I hang out with a lot of the Next Gen Ministries um, at this church, and I was a youth pastor here for a little while, and I'm getting old. Anybody getting old? Nope. Can I ask y'all a question before we go? How, how many of y'all are back in school? Yes. <laughs> I know you. Um, <clears throat> how many of y'all are back in school? How many of you have to wear masks the whole time you're back in school? Is this horrible? Let me know. Is it cool? No? I mean, is it, do people really do it? I'm just, this is my poll. This has nothing to do with the sermon. Halfway? Just to rebel? Oh, well, man, are you, I'm just, anybody not over COVID and want it to like last into 2021? Nah. Yeah, well, man, uh, sheesh. How fun was it to be back last week? I got to turn this mic off. I think I'm, <laughs> don't Jeff let me mic. Um, how many of y'all, when you went back last week, you were just like, man, human beings that aren't my family. Yeah, or you came back on Sunday, and uh, well done. There are so many of you here. This is awesome. Gabby, good thing that Keaton got us going again, because uh, we are just so glad to see you, and it's so nice to see humans, and not just my big fat cat, and my three boys, and my beautiful wife. She's actually awesome to see, but you know, the rest of them, they can scratch you, and scream, and yell, and I just want other humans. You know what I mean? Anybody? Well, um, I just wanted to spend a few minutes talking to you because this is me seeing more humans. So uh, you guys being here is a big deal because we are trying in a great and loving way to pioneer getting back into life and back into the church world and back into just existing and, and being together. So we are post-COVID, what do you call it, quarantine. Lord willing, we will not go back into any quarantine, and Lord willing, we will continue to make steps and strides and get things going. We do have a lot of things that we're working on, the details of our uh, of retreats and different things like that, that we have had on the calendar, been moved off the calendar, and we're continuing to try to do that. So you guys just come on. Here's my promise to you. We are going to be as loving as we can in this transitional time, and we are going to take great care of you to the best of our human's ability. Let me also tell you, we are not God, and so we cannot do things that only God can do. This is a great time in life to really believe and trust in what you say you do, because guess what? Isn't it crazy that God can shut down the world with a little bitty virus? I mean, it might have big implications. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm saying itself is little bitty. And we can get polarized. Listen to this. There can be fights and polarized. You know what that means? Opposite sides over a mask. Oh, my gosh. A mask. Right? So our world is in chaos because... When humans try and run things and try and make sure things are good and comfortable, there will be a time where humans fail. Have you learned that through COVID? Yeah. Have you learned that no government, no human, no person, no vaccine even, I don't care, get it, don't get it, I don't care, um, but no vaccine, no human, no president can make all of this just go away and life be comfortable again. 
Have you noticed? Do you know the suicide rate has increased dramatically among college students? A recent poll says 25% of college students have contemplated suicide during COVID for no reason beyond what they started with, meaning nothing else happened, like their dog didn't die during COVID and go, I don't want to live. It was just the absence of people in the isolation that have caused them to be a little bit more unrested, less comfortable. Do you know that doctors around the country, not all of them, most of them, for anybody on anxiety and depression medication who's trying to come off, they won't allow them to come off during COVID. Do you know why? Because anytime a world is in unrest and there's causing isolation, it is a, a mentally, emotionally more challenging because you and I are held in isolation. And so most doctors say, don't come off of it now. This is not a good time to set you up to succeed because the gravity is to shift towards what we would call anxiety, depression, or, or unrest at least. Have you felt unrest during COVID? Maybe you say, no, I haven't. It's been great. I rest. I sleep all day. Okay. Well, listen, that's not life. At some point, you know why? Because your comfort has been taken away or threatened. Maybe your comfort was your friends, your sport, grades. I don't know. Fill in the blank. How beautiful you are. How strong you are. Whatever it is. And now your comfort has been taken away. And that's one of the main things that COVID has, has caused is it is taken away comforts of the world that have then led to our unrest. My oldest son is six years old. And when he was a baby, I became the world's greatest dad with one simple move. When he was out of the womb, I had on the screen, in the hospital, I'm totally lying, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ready for this kid. Well, I had, a, as a dad, I have so many dreams for my kids, and most of those dreams are just my dreams. And one of them, I wanted them to love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm actually serious now, because it was my favorite cartoon growing up. Uh, I love, like, the original, not this Nickelodeon, not the, uh, the original, like, they didn't have a name. You know what I'm saying? Anybody watch that? Like, 1983 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Thank you. Me and you, bro. When were you born? When were you born? Like, you know, poof, you're here. You know, like. I can't hear a word you said. Great. Yeah. I don't know what he said. Well, 2008. Great. Yeah. I was graduating seminary in 2008. But, you know, I was born in 1982. That was actually a real year. And they had the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And so I loved them, loved them, loved them. The new ones came out, like the, the new ones, like, I don't know, five, six years ago. Me and my nephew went and saw them, and they were awesome. And so I loved them even more. So my mother-in-law gave Cameron, this was his first ever stuffed animal. Do you call it an animal? Stuffed toy? Stuffed thing? I told this is, so I got to hunt, and I had a duck, a mean duck, that I had to take its life. It was so mean. Bully duck. And I stuffed it. Baby, you okay? I stuffed it, and I said, hey, that's my stuffed duck. And my son's like, oh, you have a stuffed animal? Yes. Y'all are tough today. <laughs> I ain't scared of a one of you. So anyway, I, this was the first animal that he got. 
well, what did he call it, stuffed toy that he got, and he loved to sleep with it. He was one or two, I don't know how old he was. Every night he would, he would just have unrest, and he wasn't comfortable, and he always wanted Waff. Daddy, can I have Waff? This is Raphael, by the way, if you don't know. Shame on you, I will pray for you and your salvation. This is Raphael. So he said, I just want Waff. And so I would, I would put him to bed, and I would do all these things, and I would read him these books, and I would give him waff. And he would take waff, and he would curl up to him, and he would, this was the most comforting thing to Cameron that was on planet Earth, was waff. And it was his first stuffed animal, and he would be so upset going to bed. He hated going to bed, he still hates going to bed, and he, he hated going to bed, and he would take this, and he would cry, and he would be in his crib, and he would cry, and I would hand him waff, and he would go, oh. And he would just settle in, and he'd snuggle in to waff. And then a few minutes later, the whole cycle would start over. Ah, I don't want to go to sleep. And he would cry, and he would whine, and he was uncomfortable all over again. He had Raph, and just for a minute, Raph was comforting. But then the, the worries of whatever in the, were in his world took him and he just started crying again and I would have to come back in and the cycle would continue and Raph wasn't good enough. Raph was his greatest comfort but in the time of this little guy's greatest need even Raph couldn't comfort him. You know a lot of us are just like that. You and I have Raphs in our life too. It might not really be a stuffed animal. You're in high school please no. But it might be. Please God no. But Maybe, maybe your comfort is just like the comfort of your family's wealth. And that was threatened with COVID. And now that comfort isn't good enough anymore. Or maybe it was the comfort of your friends that you haven't seen in a long time. And they were your wrath. And now all of a sudden, without them, you're nothing. You don't know who you are. Maybe it was the sport that got canceled, taken away from you. It was everything. It was your whole life. It was your whole identity. And it was wrath. And when it really mattered, it just wasn't comforting enough to you. Maybe it's your looks, and now nobody's around to see how good you look. And so your wrath is gone. Maybe it's how funny you are, and your mom and dad don't think you're so funny. And it's not comfortable anymore. You see, all of us have a wrath. All of us have something in this world that we look to to find comfort. And I think COVID has taken away a lot of that for us, at least threatened it. So what do you do in a world where your wrath is taken away or it's not comfortable enough anymore? Your grades, your friends, your sport, I mean, insert whatever it is for you. Think for a minute. What is your wrath? Because I want to show you a story of a woman who had three. She had three wraths in her life. She had three things that were comforts to her. They were worldly comforts, but she could never find rest. You ever notice that? Like you try to find comfort, maybe in partying. Maybe that's what you do. Tell me how restful that is. Comforting at first. For some of you, it's a relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend that's in a position that we'll just say is not real godly. I'll leave that there, okay? comforting at first, but all of a sudden, it leaves you anxious. It leaves you unrestful, unrested. Man, sometimes you look to the world to find little bitty things that'll give you rest, and they don't. 
There's a woman, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. If you don't have your Bibles, that's totally cool. I would recommend you bringing them. Uh, we are going to make a great push for the rest of this semester and year and decade and century to, to do that. If you don't have one, we'll buy you one. Just let us know. John chapter 4, is, uh, it's a famous story called The Woman at the Well, Samaritan Woman, whatever, you, whatever you've heard it said. So this woman has incredible unrest. She has incredible things of the world that she looks to to find rest, and they're just not working. It's just not giving her the rest she wants. Now, maybe you're here today, and you just don't know God. You don't care about God. You're here because your parents made you come, or your friend drugged you, or whatever. That's fantastic. This woman didn't either. And this woman could be just like you. This woman is the, one of the most disgusting humans in the Bible. You'll see why in a minute. You'll see why in a minute. Oh my gosh. Um, so there's John chapter 4. You're going to see the setting. John's written how many chapters already? Three. He sure has. Good, good work. And he said in the beginning... Listen, John starts out his whole book going, listen, the word, that's Jesus, was God. He was with God. He was the agent of all creation. Jesus is the alpha. Jesus is the omega. Jesus is the sovereign God. That's how he starts his, I'm paraphrasing, that's how he starts his book. Then he gets into chapter 4 and he tells this story. And he tells this story about Jesus going to this woman in Samaria. Samaria is really unique. It's really unique because if you're a Jew, which Jesus was, you would hate Samaritan people. Do you know why you would hate them? You would hate them because they're kind of like a half-breed. They're like a Gentile and a Jew, a non-Jewish person and a Jew. They're, there's this, people came in, conquered them, took them, it doesn't matter, and they go in and they take them. And so there's Samaritan people are a product of generations of these Gentile people coming in and having families with these Jewish people, and then they don't even worship correctly. You see, the Jews worshiped in Jerusalem, and they're going to worship on this place called Mount Gerizim. They created their own like religious system, so the Jews are even more mad at them. Matter of fact, if you were a pious Jew, if you were a good Jew, when you were traveling through the, uh, and you had to go through Samaria, Samaria, it's called the King's Highway, it was a direct route south, you would actually go around them if you were a good Jew. You would not pass through Samaria. It would be so awkward if you did. Yet, if you look at here, look here in verse 4 of chapter 4, this is Jesus. It said, he, Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. He didn't physically have to pass through there. He could have gone the alternate routes. But there was something in the sovereign omniscience of God that he had to pass there because he had to go meet one of the most disgusting women of the town. And he had to meet her face to face because she had incredible unrest and he was going to offer solutions to her. She actually has three wraths in her life. She has three things of unrest. Tell me if these things don't hit us as well. And I'm going to show them to you. These three things are this. She had relational unrest. You ever try to find satisfaction, identity, health, comfort, whatever in other people? Uh, Jeremiah says, Blesses, or curses a man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. You're like a shrub planted in the desert. There will never be good come. You want to trust in people? You want to be a people pleaser? You want others to determine how you feel about yourself? This woman did. She had relational unrest. You're going to see that in her life. She also had physical unrest. There was a physical need she kept going to get and going to get and going to get, thinking it would bring her peace and comfort, and it never did, just like money never will and status never will. 
and um, the way you look never will. The way you look like physically never will. The way you look just socially to other people never will. There was this physical unrest that she had. And then finally, there was a spiritual unrest. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Hey, don't sleep. Listen to me. A lot of you in the room, listen to me. Look right at me. A lot of you in the room have religious unrest because you're here today thinking that if you're a little more religious and you're a little better and you read the Bible a little bit more, that God will love you a little bit more and you're wrong. Some of you think that you're going to heaven because you come to church. Some of you think you have a relationship with God because you do good things and you don't cuss all the time. And let me tell you, you're wrong. There is an unrest in religion. And Jesus is going to offer her rest in all three of these things, in all three of her wraths. Because just like Cameron, she's grabbing all three of these things and she gets them all the time, but it still leaves her with no comfort. And so Jesus had to go because he had to meet this woman. This is why he had to pass through. So if you're going through Samaria, this is how big of a deal this is. This is like, um, oh, I think we're doing the cross. Ryan Geyer, aren't we playing like week two? Or they cancel that. Football. Hut, hut. Go, go long. Ryan Geyer, I think is week two. Jackson, you in here? I just hung out with Jackson. I think he told me that. You at Jackson, is it week two? Don't you, don't you be quiet on me. You don't know. It's like one, two, three, seven. Anyway, Jackson was telling me that this game is happening. I almost stepped off the stage. So look, so when, when you're at Ryan Geyer, it'd be like going through Samaria would be like this. Let's say you're a, you're a Ryan, oh, what, the, the student section, right? And you're going to get a hot dog. And you need to get a hot dog, but the only way you can get a hot dog is to pass through the Geyer student section. And so it would be like this. Like, I'm going to get a hot dog, and I'm the Ryan student section, and I've got to go through there. I could go through the Geyer student section, or I could go around. You're probably going to go around. Unless you're a punk, then you can go through and make some noise, right? And then, so you're going to go around. That's how Jesus is feeling about this. He's like, man, this is what he's walking into. A hostile environment. But he had to go because he had to meet a woman that had great unrest. And he came, verse 5, to a town in Samaria. Jacob had given his, to Joseph, Jacob, this patriarch, had dug a well. There's a well here in Jacob's well, verse 6. Jesus was tired. And he went and sat at the well, and it was the sixth hour. The sixth hour is noon. That's what it is. It's 12 o'clock. Now, August, 12 o'clock, pretty hot pretty hot here too if you are a woman if you are a man and you're daily going to get water listen to me do you get thirsty before 12 o'clock on most days yep he's gonna meet a woman at the well at 12 o'clock you know why she's there at 12 o'clock she's there at 12 o'clock because she has relational unrest she's there at 12 o'clock because all the other ladies would come in the morning to draw water but not this one She's alone at the well. She wants to be alone at the well. You know why? Everybody hates this woman. I'll show you why in a second. Well, I'm not say everybody. She is Scarlet Letter, if you've read that book. She is an outcast. She's despised. She's gossiped about. She doesn't want to see other women, men. She wants to be alone because she has an unrest relationally. She's scared to death of what other people think about her because of who she is. There was a woman in verse 7, and she came to draw water. She came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, if you're a Jew, and you associate with a Samaritan woman, 
that's bad. If you're a Jew and you ask, can I have a drink of water, that's real bad. That's like if I'm at the Ryan Geyer game and I'm a Ryan student athlete or student section and I go over to get a hot dog and I pass through the Geyer section anyway, ha ha, and I get a hot dog. And then I come back to the Geyer section, I sit my booty down, and I start eating my hot dog with it. You want a bite, Bill? Cool. I'm like, not only am I passing through enemy territory, I'm telling them I want to join you. Jesus is saying... By the way, I don't, I don't think that either one of Ryan or Geyer is unclean. But Jesus is saying, the Jews would say, this woman is unclean. If you drink after her, you are now unclean. So she says, woman, give me a drink. Now, here's a woman who's hiding from people, and she sees this guy walking up. She says, oh, sheesh. Here's a guy. I came at noon, so nobody be here. And here's this Jew. Here he is. Why is there a Jew here? And then he walks up, and men didn't even talk to women like this in, in, the, in this time. And not only did he talk to her, and he looks at her, and he looks her in the eye, and he says, give me a drink out of your, your cup. Because he doesn't have a cup. She says it. He said, give her a drink. Nine, the Samaritan woman said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And Jesus said, if you just knew the gift, and if you knew who it was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. You see, this is an issue the woman is carrying with her. She has this issue of relational unrest. Do you know why? I'm going to spoil this surprise for you. Do you know why this woman has relational unrest? She's had five husbands, and the one she's with now is not her husband. That's what the Bible says. Why do you think this woman has gone from husband to husband to husband to husband to husband to boyfriend plus? Relational unrest. Same reason some of you go from boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend. Sorry, don't mean to be too crude. Or girlfriend to girlfriend to girlfriend to girlfriend. Or best friend to best friend to best friend to best friend. Or gossip to gossip to hate her and slander him and do all this. It's the same reason. We often look for comfort in relationships with others. And it will fail you at some point all the time. And she's doing this, but she can't find the relationship that she wants. And look, Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was, here's what he's saying. You don't get it, lady. I'm the one that if you would have a relationship with me, I would solve all of the unrest you have in relationship with others. But all you're going to do is ask me for another wrath. And that's going to still leave you in great discomfort. So he offers a relief because the who, it's not in a husband. The husband will not give you relief and rest. A Messiah will. It's not that that's it, but it's not a well that will help you, but salvation will help you. It's not just water that's going to satisfy your body, but a living water that will satisfy your soul. Jesus is offering her a solution and she has no idea because all she wants to do is hug wrath. All she wants to do is she thinks if she could just get wrath, if she, if she could just get the right husband, then life would be better. And Jesus says, no, ma'am, not how it works. And then he goes on and he's going to attempt to or offer her relief for her physical burdens. Here they are in 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Jesus is like, ah, oh, 
me, never mind, right? So he keeps going. Are you greater than Jacob, she asked him. It's so funny. Jesus could go, well, yeah, <laughs> I created Jacob, actually. She said, are you greater than Jacob? So she has this physical burden coming. Here it is. Um, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty. But whoever drinks of the water I will give will never be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of this water, you're going to constantly have to come back to find satisfaction and comfort because your body's going to use it and you're going to have to come back and get more. But if you would drink from me, salvation, your soul would never thirst again. That's what he's saying. But she doesn't get it. The woman said to him, verse 15, give me this water so I won't have to come here anymore. She thinks he's offering her indoor plumbing. Her physical unrest She'll never have to come to the well again. God, if you would just take this away, add this, something, never have to trust again. Have you ever heard this? I've heard so many people say this. Hey, man, that's cool that you like Jesus and stuff. I tried the Jesus thing, but he didn't work. Let me rephrase that. If you've said that, here's what you're really saying. I went through the motions of religion, but my life didn't feel any physically better. My grades didn't get better. My parents still fought. My girlfriend actually dumped me a few days later. I didn't get any better at basketball. So what you're saying is you wanted actually a genie. You got mistaken. You didn't want Jesus. You wanted a genie. And when the genie didn't pop out and grant all your physical wishes, you abandoned what you thought was faith. If that was you, you've never had faith. You've never tried Jesus. You tried religion. You tried a genie. You might as well have gone and bought a rabbit's foot and put it on your keychain. Same difference. This this woman wants. She wants Jesus to make her feel better. Less walking, more comfort in the physical things. She says, Jesus, if you can give me indoor plumbing, it's wrath. But Jesus goes, no, no, indoor plumbing won't help you, woman. That's what he's going to say. And she's going to have one more burden that she's going to offer to him that she's going to start in verse 25, no, 20, 16, Jesus said to her, this is my favorite part of the verse. Now think about it. Let's say, you're, let's say everybody in here is a girl. And you got six husbands, or you got five. And the one you're with is not your husband. And you're at the well. Picture this. You hate people. People hate you. There's this Jew. He doesn't like you. You're skittish. He wants your water. He's offering you weird things. Are you a plumber? What's going on? And then all of a sudden he goes, hey, Betsy. Go get your husband. See how funny that is? Because what are you thinking? Which one? <laughs> and you're going, man, I can't let this dude know. Jesus, listen to what he does. Listen, 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 listen. He pinpoints the most grotesque, disgusting sin this woman hides. And he sees it. Do you think you hide your sin from God? He knows right where it is. But does he love her anyway? He does. He came to her on the king's highway to get to her. He said, go and call your husband to come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Dodge that one. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying that I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. He calls her out right there, doesn't he? And the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. In other words, he said, you didn't lie to me, but I know you, and I know your sin, and I came to you. And I came to you to offer relief for the greatest burden that you have, a spiritual unrest. 
Because then she says in verse 19, uh-oh, I see that you're a prophet. You got some psychic-like abilities, bro. I see you're a prophet. Then she does what everybody does. When you talk to people and you want to talk about religion, it, she starts a religious debate. For some reason, we think that a religious debate and showing, showing someone how stupid they are and how smart we are, they're going to go, ah, I want to know your God. No, no. So she starts a religious debate. She goes, well, you say, if you want to read the verses, you say, Jews, that we should worship on this mountain, but we say you should worship on this mountain. What do you think, prophet? So it's a religious debate. She, she gets this trivial debate coming on, and here's what Jesus does to answer. He said, woman... Believe me, the hour is coming when neither this mountain in Jerusalem nor that one will, you will worship your father because you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, meaning Jesus. But the hour is coming and is now here because Jesus is here that worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. Jesus is saying the hour is coming where the spirit will dwell in your hearts because there will be a new covenant. There will be a new covenant he said, he's alluding to and it's with me. You ever found the burden of trying to follow all the religious rules and you just can't do it? And then you give up? Or better yet, you just make yourself feel so guilty that you just get less and less confident in your decision. This woman, quote, goes to church. She knows where to worship, not Jerusalem. She knows that's where her people are. And Jesus says, woman, you don't get it. Your religious efforts don't mean a thing. All they've done is burden you. And they've weighed on you. They have bullied you. You've been bullied by these things. And I'm telling you, worship honestly by knowing me. The woman said to him in verse 25, this is a great spot to skip. She says, listen, Jesus. I know, or she didn't know his name. Well, maybe I don't know. She said, I know the Messiah is coming. And she cuts to the chase too. I know the Christ is coming. I know that God's forever king is coming. He who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. You know what she says? Only God can judge me, Jew man, whoever you are. You can't judge me, only God can. I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll tell me all these things. You shut your mouth. That's what she says to Jesus. He offers her complete rest right here. This is where you will find complete rest. Jesus said to her, Jesus said to her, watch this. When Moses, pause with me, when Moses asked God, God said, hey, go free the people. And Moses said, who do I say sent me? Who do I say your name is? What's your name? What did he tell him? I am. He said, you tell him Yahweh. You tell him it means I am. Or to mean, I, it could mean I will be who I will be. I am who I am. You tell him I am sent you, Moses. Now get on with it. And he goes, seven times in the book of John... John points out these things of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the resurrection. I am the good shepherd. He has seven statements that he claims his I am statements. 
And he answered the woman's question. I'll read it in the original language. Here's what he says. Listen to this. Because the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. He's called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all these things. Jesus said to her, I am who speaks to you. I'm him. I'm God. And I know your sin, woman. I know your husband. But I know it's deeper than that. I know you have an unrest relationally you can't find comfort in in that way. I know you come to this well every day at noon so no one will see you. And I know that you're just trying to find a little comfort. And it, even when you get it, it doesn't last long and it doesn't really help. And I know that you think that if you could just not have to come to the well, life would be better. And lady, I know that you think if you just know which mountain to worship on and how to like do the rituals, that the spiritual unrest, but you're plagued by your sin. He says, I am who speaks. And I know your sin. And I know your pain. And I'm offering you living water. Just then, the disciples came back, and they marveled. He was talking to the woman. They said, what do you seek? Why are you talking with us? Verse 28. So the woman left her jar. She left her raft. You see, the one thing she came to the well to do was to get water. And she sets the jar down, and Jesus asks for water, remember? She goes, well, you know, you want a drink from that? So she puts it down, and she starts talking to this God-man, and she doesn't know who he is. And as he introduces himself later and offers rest, for, offers rest for her, her jaw hits the ground, and she forgets the one thing she thought would bring her comfort. Her mind was on something so great that she forgot jar of water. The raft didn't work and she finally realized that. It wasn't as important anymore. Then, watch what she does. She leaves her, her jar, her physical unrest that she came to get, she forgot about it. Leaves her jar there. She runs back to town she says this, come see a man. Now, wait a minute. Here's the woman who goes to the well so no one will see her, and she comes back into town going, hey, 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 everybody, come here, 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 come see a man. She gathers everybody that will listen. Her relational unrest is gone because she had found relationship with a God man who loved her anyway, even though all these people didn't. She had found a relationship that did not betray her and did not go south and did not fail her because she couldn't find comfort in all those husbands. But for some reason, she found comfort in the Godman who said, I am who speaks. And here she is, and she's going and gathering everybody. Come meet a man, come meet a man, come meet a man who told me all I ever did. What does that mean? He told me all I ever did. He knew about my husband. He knew about my deepest, darkest sins. Can this be the Christ? Can this be what I've been looking for this whole time? Can Jesus 
healthy rest from my relational unrest, my physical unrest, and my spiritual unrest. He relieved her burdens because he alone offers rest in all these areas. Because that's what the gospel is. That Jesus died just for you. For you. That God so loved the world. That God so loved you. That he gave his only son to relieve you of all your burdens. That you might have relational rest in him. Physical rest in his promises, not the world's. And spiritual rest knowing that he did everything on the cross to accomplish your salvation and you didn't do it. And he'll transform your life and he'll regenerate you and he'll make you new because wrath just can't do it. When I would give this little sucker to Cameron, he would hold it for a minute. He would be good, just like we are when we look for those comforts. And then he would start to cry again. So normally... I would do one of two things. I had a book that I would read him every time that he loved, and I had a song. So after he realized wrath wouldn't comfort him, the song that he loved was, Jesus loves me, this I know. Surrounded by the darkness of little ones to him belong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. You sing it like a little kid voice, right? Yes, Jesus loves me. And he would look at me and he would hold my hand. And I would sing the song two or three hundred times. And somewhere along the way, he would drift off and go to sleep. It wasn't a magical song. It just happened to be the one Cameron liked. But to me, it was an answer to his unrest. Cam, your wrath can't help you. Jesus can. Not in the way a genie does, but just by his presence. Just by his presence. Has COVID reminded you that comforts of the world can fade and can go away in a moment? Yes. But what can COVID never take? Never take the rest you, you have and you find in the person of Jesus. So for all of us, leave your wrath at the well. Leave your jar there saying quit football and make straight D's. I'm not saying that. But you'll never find comfort in those things. Stop trying. Find comfort in Jesus alone and watch how life radically changes. Father, we just pray that you would cause us, Lord, to realize the world cannot comfort us. Matter of fact, it leaves us in disarray. And Father, we Lord, we hope and trust in the person of Jesus. We're a lot like this woman at the well. Before meeting you, we're outcast, deep in our sin, guilty, unloved, burdened. Lord, I just pray that you would relieve the burdens of everyone in this room. Maybe not today. I hope it is. But Lord, that they would find rest in the person of Jesus. Father, I pray that a great gift coming from um, really this pandemic would be this among many things. Lord, your word says that some of your greatest gifts are our trials. So, Lord, the gift we see here is that we realize you alone comfort. 
not for things in this world, but you can shut the world down with a microscopic virus. And Lord, we trust you all the way. And we trust you and are paying you the most. I pray for these high school students, Lord, some of them seniors who are just going into an odd senior year. I pray that we would make the most of this year. I pray that we would find great joy and comfort. Lord, that we would go out and we would proclaim like this woman did, come meet the comforter. Come meet the person that has the power over COVID even more power than a vaccine. Come meet a man who told me all I ever did was repeat of Christ. Would you make us ambassadors for your gospel everywhere we go and all the schools that we attend? And so, Lord, we just trust you and praise you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bye, everybody. We love you guys, and we're glad you're here. Stay safe.